Salvation, brothers and sisters, is not in the law. Salvation is in Messiah, but Messiah is the Word. So where is salvation really at? It's in the Word. Last week, we talked about the man Yeshua and the Word Yeshua. People can receive the man Yeshua while reject the Word Yeshua. See, the man Yeshua don't save. It's the Word that saves. Salvation is in the Word. And it is no other than the word that was made flesh. So accepting Jesus in your heart doesn't mean much if you're not going to abide in his word. Shalom, saints, and welcome to our verse-by-verse study of the gospel according to John. I'm your host and teacher, Arthur Bailey. Today, our real challenge is that we cannot abide or continue in His Word if we have not learned His Word. We learn of Yeshua through discipleship. Yeshua told His disciples to follow Him. They heard what He taught and saw the miracles and signs and wonders. Then, Yeshua sent them out and they performed miracles, signs, and wonders as a result of their discipleship. We must abide in the truth that we learn through discipleship. To abide is to continue in that truth and to live by that truth. As one lives by the truth of Messiah's teaching, they will see the manifestation and power of the truth that inspires them to seek more of the truth. As we continue to abide in the truth, the truth makes us freer in every area where truth is applied. The message title in this podcast is, The Truth Shall Make You Free. So, let's study. Last week, we talked about this circumstance where Yeshua confronted the religious leaders and he told them something that for us today may be a little challenging to receive. And he said to them, you will die in your sins. And I did my best to present that to you last week with the knowledge and understanding that what he was saying to them was, they, because of their position and their rejection of who he was, that as the one who came to save the people from their sin, that the only hope for salvation for them was to receive him. Remember earlier, we talked about how uh, he said to them in our searching the scriptures teaching, search the scriptures for therein you think you have eternal life, for it speaks of me. And the challenge that the religious leaders had with Yeshua was they did not accept him for who he was. And as a result of rejecting him, salvation eluded them. And what he wanted them to do is to understand that he was their salvation and that their salvation could only be be derived from receiving him and believing on him. The Bible tells us last week as we were looking at it, that while he was speaking, many believed on him. 
And this is where we want to pick up this morning in verse number 31. Those who believed on him, Yeshua said to them, which believed on him, if you abide in my word, then are you my disciples indeed? Now, this is a challenge, brothers and sisters, because here's the real challenge for us. You cannot abide or continue in his word if you have not learned his word. And today we're going to find that there are a variety of truths, but there's only one truth that make us free. And so again, we're going to be challenged. We learn of him through discipleship. Yeshua told his disciples to follow him. So they got to see what he did. They got to hear what he taught. They had the opportunity to experience him demonstrating faith. They saw miracles, signs, and wonders. He sent them out, and they even performed miracles, signs, and wonders as a result of their discipleship with him. Believing in and abiding in are two different things. Let me say that again. Believing in and abiding in are two different things. When I was in the Baptist church, they told me that I needed to believe in Jesus. And so I believed in Jesus. Now, what they didn't tell me is that, what do I do after I believe? Now, they told me to come to church. I did that. They told me to come to Bible study. I did that. They told me to come to the revivals. I did that. They told me to give tithe. I did that. They told me to serve in some capacity, in some ministry. I did that. They wanted me to serve in in a variety of ministries, and I did what they told me to do. Now, that particular church had ministries that the next church I went to didn't have. So when I left there and went to the, the next church, I looked to apply the things that I had learned in the Baptist church, in the Pentecostal charismatic church that I was in. Now, when I got to the Pentecostal charismatic church, I also realized that they had a different truth than the Baptist church had. In fact, they had a different formula for baptism meaning that now I got to get baptized over again. So the truth of the Baptist baptism was not necessarily embraced in the Pentecostal assembly baptism. And by having to be rebaptized, it's like, why do I need to be rebaptized when I've been baptized already, where you weren't baptized the right way? Well, tell that to the Baptists. You see where I'm going here? And so there were things, even when it came down to the Holy Spirit, I was taught in the Baptist church that I received the Holy Spirit when I believed. And I believed that until I start seeing people who say they had the Holy Spirit do things we weren't doing. (laughs) And so now the question is that do they have a different Holy Spirit than we have? 
there's healing over there. there. We don't even pray for the sick over here. Oh, wait a minute. We did. We did in the Baptist church. The deacons would pray for the sick and the shut in. You know, but there was no laying of hands. There was no elders. And so in that environment, deacons ruled. But in the Pentecostal environment that I'm in now, there is elders who are doing teachings and deacons. Now, when you look at the Bible, the Bible show us that there are deacons and elders. But I've been in churches where there are elders and no deacons. And I've been in churches where there are deacons and no elders. And so you see different interpretations of the scriptures being carried out in different ways in the various denominations that we have been a part of. To believe in and to abide in is two different things. To believe is to think something to be true. We believe Jesus is the son of God. That's what they taught us in the Baptist church. That's what they taught us in the Pentecostal church. Believe that. To abide is to continue in the truth because Yeshua said those who are laboring and heavy laden, he says, come unto me. I will give you rest for your soul. He went further to say, take my yoke upon you and learn of me. And that's the part where the disciples now who followed him, and this is the difference. There were people who did not follow him, but came to his meetings. And then there were those who followed him that was at all of his meetings. The people who came to the meeting got to hear a message. The one who followed him got to see how he walked that message out. And that's the difference. I was sharing with the brother this week that one of the reasons why I look at the gospels and the letters, I look at the lives of the apostles and what they said is that they actually show us by their life and what they did, how they interpreted the words of Messiah. Now this created a problem because how they interpreted and lived was a little bit different than how we were being taught to live. I had some challenges and I asked some questions about how to live this out, how to walk this out. Husbands love your wife. How do I do that? And you know, to this day, it has been difficult for me to get the same answer from individuals that I asked that question to. How do I, as a husband, love my wife like Messiah loved the church? And I couldn't get answers, but I'll tell you the answers that I did get caused me to become somewhat of a tyrant, the kind of person that now you got to rule your house, brother, and you got to rule your house with an iron fist, brother, and you got to do this, and your wife should be doing this, and your wife should be doing that. And it's like, okay, where are you getting this information from? Where is that information coming from? Show me scripture. And what I saw was the different denominations interpretations of what was actually written. But now were our examples in the Bible 
in the word of Jehovah that I am to apply in my life. And this took some serious searching. For those of you who have listened to the teaching, uh, Marriage God's Way, you'll see I brought some of those things out. But I want to focus on this particular teaching today. He says, you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. Now, I want to ask you a question. And the first thing I want you to do is take a look at yourself. Are there areas in your life that you struggle with? Now, it's easy to say that with our mouth. Because we've been taught, you know, we're all sinful, you know, and so to say that you don't have struggles is to indicate that you're perfect and to indicate that you're perfect is to identify as a hypocrite, but also to answer a question without thinking it through is not even really giving the question serious consideration because see, here's the point. If there's areas in your life that you're struggling with, why are you struggling? See, until you identify the struggle, how are you going to address the struggle? If there are areas in your life in your life that you're struggling with, and if you've been struggling with those areas for some time, why as a believer are you struggling with an area when the son you confess has made you free? How can you be in bondage and free? At the same time. And this is a dilemma. Because if there's areas in our lives where we aren't experiencing freedom, we need to ask ourselves, why aren't we free in that particular area with all this truth we claim to have? We'll get to that in a moment. Freedom does not come by simple confession or belief, but by commitment. Freedom may begin with a confession, but freedom is actualized by committing to one's confession or belief. To be free from something can come instantly. Let's say you've got an issue and you need deliverance. That deliverance can come instantly. But what's going to keep you from returning to the thing that you've been delivered from? There are people who have been healed from certain things only to find themselves later on in life having to deal with some of those same issues. The thing that causes bondage, if it's never confronted or dealt with, it will cause even more bondage. Yeshua said it this way. When an unclean spirit has been driven out of a man, it goes through dry, arid places looking for rest. And when it finds no rest, it returns to the house from whence it has been driven out. See that house swept and garnished. It goes and gets seven more spirits worse than they and return to that man's house. And the latter state of that man is worse than it was in the beginning. You will find that some people who get free or delivered find themselves even in greater bondage sometime later. Why? In order for us to maintain freedom, we have to be consistent in walking out our freedom or you'll go back to it. 
One can be delivered instantly, but then must walk out their deliverance consistently to keep from returning to the bondage they have been delivered from. When Yeshua talked to the man who he healed from blindness, he said to him, go and sin no more, lest a worse thing come upon you. Lest a worse thing come upon you. We've seen twice where Yeshua tells someone to go and sin no more. He said it to the woman that was brought to him, caught in adultery two weeks ago. He told her to go and sin no more. Now, I'll tell you, that statement in itself flies in the face of my traditional Baptist teaching. Why? Because we sin every day, they say. How can you not sin? We're sinners. Sinners sin. So how could Yeshua tell the woman and the man, go and sin no more, if it wasn't possible? And here's where we get into doctrinal issues, because doctrinal issues that come from tradition can put us in bondage, whereas the word that comes from Messiah is designed to set us free. Religion will put you in bondage. Religion doesn't free anybody because it puts people in the bondage to the statements of faith, the doctrinal beliefs of the organization that they've made a commitment to. To become a member is like to pledge to a particular fraternity or some sorority. It just so happened to be the Baptist fraternity or the Baptist or the Pentecostal fraternity. And so one now focus on how to be a good denominational member not thinking about the kingdom. See, Messiah doesn't put us in a church made with hands. He put us in the kingdom and build us who is the assembly from the inside out. His word has to get inside us and then it transforms us from the inside out. You could put lipstick on a pig, but it's still a pig. You can dress a person up, nice shaved, nice groomed beard, (laughs) nice clothes. But if the inside has not been dealt with, and you won't know, I'm going to tell you something. There are things about you that you see and know that other people can't see or know unless you tell them. You know what's going on in you. If there's lust in your heart, you know it. Now, I may not see it because I don't want you like that. But let me tell you something. There are demonic forces that watch you like a hawk. And then there is the angels of Jehovah that are keeping record. And their presence in our lives is to minister to us. They're messengers. The messengers are there to assist us. And sometimes, brothers and sisters, along with the Holy Spirit, ministering spirits will try to tell you stuff. Why? Because that's what they are. They're messengers. They'll try to guard you. They'll even tell you, don't go down that way. Don't look over there. Put your eyes back in front of your head. And when 
he puts something in front of us. Let's say this is, this is the way the enemy works. He works this way with men. He works this way with women. He works this way with children. Is he dangles something in front of us to see what our interest level is. And if we show an interest in what he dangles in front of us, guess what? There's going to be some more dangling. And pretty soon you're going to find yourself being carried off with what has been dangled in front of you. Well, how do he know to dangle more stuff in front of you? Because you've somehow shown some kind of interest in what has been dangled. These are fiery darts. The enemy is constantly shooting at you. If you got anger issues, he's going to put stuff in front of you to make you angry. If you got bitter issues, he's going to put stuff in front of you to keep you bitter. If you've got lust issues, he's going to put stuff in front of you to keep you lustful. If you got lying issues, he's going to cause issues in your life to keep you lying. All of these things are bondage because as long as he can keep these things Going on in your life, it don't matter how much you go to church or how many times you come to Sunday school or how much you go to the assembly. You showing up here doesn't cleanse you. The word that you receive will cleanse you only if you apply it. I can give you soap. I can give you a towel. I can run the bath water. But if you don't take that towel, that soap, and get your behind in that tub and wash that dirt off of you, you will still be dirty with all that soap, with all that bath towel, and with all that water. This is what the Word does to us. The Word, when taken in, begins to wash the filth. It confronts lust. It confronts hate. It confronts bitterness. It confronts everything in our being that is not like him. And can I let you in on a little secret? Everything in you is not like him. As one lived by the truth of Messiah's teaching, they will see the manifestation and power of the truth that inspires them to seek more of the truth. As we continue to abide in truth, the truth makes us freer in every area, truth is applied. If we are in bondage in any area, it is evidence we have not applied and abided in the truth in that area. The world understands these things. There's an organization out there. Some of you may be familiar with it. It's called Alcoholic Anonymous. Now, there are some clear-cut signs that they've identified that if you have an issue with alcohol, they're going to suggest to you, I know I've been through this. I've gone through rehabilitation. And they said to me that when you get out of this rehab center, you need to attend 90 meetings in 90 days. Not 30 days, not 60 days, not 90 days. Because the research shows that it takes 30 days to make a habit, about 60 days to break a habit, and about 90 days to overcome a habit. But then they throw this other caveat in, you will always be a, an addict. Now that piece flies in the face 
of the truth of the kingdom. Because if the son sets me free, how can I still be an addict? The whole idea of that philosophy is to cause us to realize that even though we have overcome the urge and the desire, you're going to have to continually commit to this process to keep from returning to the urge and the desire. Why? Because going through these treatment centers or treatment center and then AA meetings, people who have been free from alcohol 15 years, 20 years relapse. What does that say? That says that if you don't continue to apply the truth that you have learned, you will find yourself going back to what? To what you knew. Each religion or denomination has its truth. When we change religion or denomination, we exchange truth or trade in one truth for another truth. And this is one of the things that I saw happening in my life as I'm going from one denomination to another. I used to say it was like, okay, take off those glasses and put these glasses on. Every denomination had its way of looking at the scriptures. Every denomination had its way of looking at the scriptures and as a result of that, interpreting the scriptures. So different people can look at the same scriptures and come away with different understandings. The understanding that you came away with is not what you searched out and came to understand is what you have been taught that that scripture says. And many of us, we've been taught. Now, if we've gone through more than one denomination or two denominations, we've got information from over there. We got information from over there. We got information from over here that competes with one another. There's competition going on within us that is based on different teachings that we have heard. We've all heard that we're supposed to have power when the Holy Spirit comes upon us. The Baptist church didn't teach me about that power. It taught me to look to the rapture and to try to keep myself until Jesus came. The Pentecostal church says, well, you know, this power is going to manifest to cause you to speak in tongues. So you'll be a tongue talking saint. Now, the thing that I found is that there were a lot of tongue talking adulterers, a lot of tongue talking liars, a lot of tongue talking fornicators. So now we have the ability, but this is what they taught. And they taught that this is the evidence that the Holy Spirit is in you. Now, very few places, in fact, I've not gone to any denomination organization that told me that the presence of the Spirit will cause you to prophesy. Now, Joel, Peter, on the day of Pentecost, Peter says, this is that which the prophet Joel prophesied, that in the last days, Father was going to pour out his spirit on all flesh and sons and daughters will do what? 
prophesy. How many of us been taught that when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you will prophesy? Now, if you're here, we teach you that. But everywhere I've gone, what I've heard concerning the baptism of the Holy Spirit is going to manifest in speaking in tongues. And that's based on what they saw happen on the day of Pentecost, looking through that Pentecostal lens, but not looking at what Paul wrote concerning prophecy in relationship to tongues and interpretation. There were those who spoke in tongues, but there were those who heard it in their own language. Tongues and interpretation of tongues, which is the supernatural work of the Almighty working in the midst of a group of individuals, equals, according to Paul in 1 Corinthians 14, equals prophecy. He that prophesies is greater than he who speaks in tongues, except he interprets. Say that again. He that prophesies is greater than he that speaks in tongues, except he interprets. So tongues and interpretation equals prophecy, which is exactly what happened on the day of Pentecost. And this is why Peter could say, this is that which the prophet Joel prophesied. So what should be our response according to scripture when the Holy Spirit comes upon us? Sons and daughters should do what? Prophesy. That means that when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, the Holy Spirit's responsibility is to make you connected to the one who gave you the Spirit so that you can hear his voice and speak on his behalf. You become an ambassador of the kingdom, not a member of a church. You become a representative of the Most High. Now the question is, is how we represent how you represent, because if you confess him, then your lifestyle should reflect that you are his son or his daughter. Let's keep it moving. Jehovah's truth do not change. His truth is the same today as it was yesterday and will be the same tomorrow and forever. John eight thirty three. they answered him, we be Abraham's seed. And were never in bondage to any man. How sayest thou, you shall be made free? Two things. At that moment in time, the people were in bondage by the Romans. They were under Roman rule. How can they say they've never been in bondage? See, religious people ignore the obvious because they put their faith in their religion. And if they put their faith in their religion, it's hard for them to see the reality of circumstances. I remember when I was young growing up and the, old, the elders used to say, don't be so heavenly minded that you know earthly good. In other words, your faith that comes from heaven should manifest itself in lifestyle. So if I don't have to hear you tell me, I can look at you and watch you 
and listen to your conversation. What are you saying when you're not in church? How are you communicating when you're not around saints you know? Because see, here's the thing about these angels, according to Malachi, that's taking notes. And these notes are going to show themselves on judgment. They're not just hanging out taking notes. They are listening. But guess what? They're listening to the conversations of those who claim to fear him. If you fear him, what is your conversation like? What's your conversation like when you on the work, on the job? What's your conversation like when you're not with your husband or with your wife? What's your conversation like when you're not around people who know you? So the religious leaders, one, they were in bondage to Rome, and then they were in bondage to their traditions. The religious leaders were trying to please the Romans while at the same time uphold their religious traditions. And they saw Yeshua as a problem because they felt that they needed to stop him lest he offend Rome. And now Rome now take away their position, take away their temple, take away their place, take away their authority. They didn't realize that Rome was using the religious leaders to control the masses. No different than the government today is using the religious leaders to control the masses. So now you got Republican Christians and Democratic Christians. Government has used the church for its own good and then has a tendency to pit religions against each other while in the Constitution saying that they cannot exalt one religion over another. Our government is not a religious institution. It uses the Bible to uphold a document that they claim bits and pieces came from God, one nation under God, which God? Ask the question, which God? Yeshua answered them, verily, verily, I said to you, whosoever committed sin is the servant of sin. Now, I want to just take a few moments and kind of help you see this in a light that I believe you will get. By adding to, diminishing from the law given to them by Moses and teaching Jewish traditions as commandments, they were committing or living a life without law. Now, you say they had the law, but he'd already told them, Moses gave you all the law and none of you keep it. I don't know how people miss it. Well, let me take that back. I do know how because I did. I missed it. I read what Yeshua said. He said that Moses gave you all the law and none of you keep the law. Yeshua said to the religious leaders, he says, listen, you people worship him in vain. Why? Because you teach for commandments, the traditions of men. And you make his law of no effect. What is Yeshua saying they're teaching? They're teaching their traditions. See, this is exactly what denominations do because, believe it or not, there were Pharisees and Sadducees, but the Pharisees then had different sects. There were different sects of Pharisees based on their teacher, based on their leader, based on the founder. And just as you have religious traditions today where you have people who are part of a group who may not like certain aspects 
of the particular group and break off and start another group similar to that group, but uphold these values. Some of you may have seen a couple of weeks ago how the United Methodist Church decided that they would have to split now because of the homosexual LGBT agenda that is saying, listen, we want to serve God in this denomination too. And they're saying that that lifestyle is not compatible with scripture. But these guys are saying, well, God is love. So if we're in love, then it is compatible with scripture. And so now you've got this confusion and a split. It's already happened in the Episcopalian Anglican. It's moving its way. I mean, even in aspects of Judaism today, you've got certain Judaisms, certain Torah observant, Talmudic observant people in different sects of Judaism, where you have women rabbis, where you have rabbis who are marrying lesbians and homosexuals. And can I tell you something? That is going to become the order of the day. Civility is gone from politics. Agendas are being pushed through the political arena. And the organizations called religious institutions in order to maintain favor with the government is going to comply with these mandates that's coming down from on high on Capitol Hill. The next thing is going to happen is that these individuals now are going to start rallying behind certain individuals that promises they're going to push their agenda. We already see it. The Democratic Party is pushing agendas, but don't let the Republicans off the hook because the Republicans are saying what they need to say until they get what they want. But that's politics. The Supreme Court is bought in on it. Ever since the last administration, marriage, same-sex marriage, is the law of the land. This agenda, and it's powered by money, it's powered by individuals who are throwing their weight. I mean, come on, folks. Already in this election cycle, and we haven't even gotten to the first vote, and there are billions of dollars that have been spent for the probability, possibility of electing one individual. That's a lot of money. And just because you may not be supporting some candidate, I can't say you're not, I don't know, you know, doesn't mean, I'm telling you, there's billions, billions of dollars. And so this is one of the reasons why I pray for saints to become millionaires and billionaires because it's going to take what's going to happen when the government starts coming after institutions that believe in a gospel and a law that doesn't change. What do you think is going to happen? I dread the day that boycotts will be outside of our doors. The whole goal is to push an agenda and to force compliance. 
and those who don't comply, <laughs> sin is a violation of the law. The church is not going to have an issue going along with the government agenda because for the most part, the church has already rejected the law. Those who do not hold to the law of Jehovah is going to find themselves acquiescing to the demands of society, the demands of neighbors, the demand of agendas that doesn't square with what is in the word. And that's where you're going to be challenged at. Whosoever committed sin, according to 1 John 3, 4, transgress also the law, for sin is the transgression of the law. 1 John 3, 5, and we know that he was manifest to take away our sins. That was the purpose. John came and it was announced that Yeshua was going to save the world from their sins. Salvation, brothers and sisters, is not in the law. <laughs> Salvation is in Messiah, but Messiah is the word. So where is salvation really at? It's in the word. Last week, we talked about the man Yeshua and the word Yeshua. People can receive the man Yeshua while reject the word Yeshua. See, the man Yeshua don't save. It's the word that saves. Salvation is in the word. And it is no other than the word that was made flesh. So accepting Jesus in your heart doesn't mean much if you're not going to abide in his word. Whoever abideth in him sinneth not. In who? In Jesus in your heart or the word in your heart? See, this is what David was saying when he says, I hide your word in my heart that I do not sin against you. His word has to be in us. And here's what happens when we take the word in us and allow the word now to be the filter that we put everything through. The word is the filter in what we receive and the word becomes the filter in what we release. Whosoever abideth in him sinneth not. Whosoever sinneth hath not seen him, neither known him. And here's what happens, brothers. Sin caused the fall and entered into the world by Adam. Sin separates us from Jehovah. The wages of sin is death. Because of sin, death reigned from Adam to Moses. The commandments not only exposed sin, but provided a path of redemption and reconciliation. The commandments were full of grace and truth. When John wrote that in the beginning was the word, the word was with Elohim, the word was Elohim, the word became flesh full of grace and truth. What became flesh full of grace and truth? The word, which was from the beginning. Redemption was revealed in the commands. 
The remedy of the fall and sin is the commandments. The remedy for the fall and sin is the commandments. Why? You will not know what sin is if not for the commandments. The commandments tell you what sin is. To keep from sinning, how can you keep from sinning if you don't know what sin is? And then denominations define sin from their perspective, which generally fits a few limited categories. Sin is a violation of the commandments. The commandments is the remedy for sin, but the death that comes from sin, the remedy is the Savior. You need both. You need the Savior and the commands. Now understand, when Yeshua was speaking to these individuals, go and sin no more, they weren't Baptists or Presbyterians or Pentecostals. They were Hebrew. They were people who understood the commandments. Today, many people don't have a clue. Like I ask my colleagues at times, what did Paul meant? When he said, come out from among them and be ye separate and touch not the unclean thing. And I will receive you. What is the unclean thing? See, according to Christianity and religion, there's no such thing as anything unclean anymore. So Paul didn't know what he was talking about because he was writing to these Corinthians that you say were Gentiles. So how would they know what was they weren't supposed to touch so that they could be received so that he could be a father and they could be his children? You know, when I read that, when I read that as a Christian, I had no idea what it meant. Didn't matter. I didn't know what a whole lot of the Bible meant. I just looked at the church on how to live and watched the saints on how they conducted themselves and then tried to practice what I saw them do. So who was discipling me? You got to know something, brothers and sisters. This is one of the reasons why I know I'm the way, the way I am. I watch my words. I watch my jesting. I watch my joking. I watch the way I carry myself when I'm communicating with you, because I'll tell you something. You're looking at me. Now, you may not admit it, but you watch me. You look at me. And if I demonstrate a certain type of aspect, you'll pick that up. You'll start acting like me. I hope you do. I do. That's why I'm not going to be lying to you. I'm not going to be joking with you. I'm not going to be playing with you. I don't play with other people's children. I try to live a life that is pleasing in the Almighty. And what comes out of me is what I believe. And what I believe is what I live. So what I'm saying, what I believe, and what I live is one and the same. And in my house, it's hard. I know it's hard. I'll show you why in a moment. So the remedy of the fall of sin and the fall and sin is the commandments. See, Paul wrote death reign from Adam to Moses, even unto them who had not sinned like Adam did. 
but it only rained from Adam to Moses. What happened at Moses? The commandments. Death no longer reigned because now people know what sin is. And within the commandments was the remedy. If you sin, here's what sin is. If you do it, this is what you do. And through that, one now could be redeemed and reconciled back to the creator. Leviticus 4 deals with the atonement for redemption from individuals and from congregational sin. In other words, if you want to know how sin redeemed concerning individuals, you could see that when individual sins, they had to bring certain types of sacrifices. Now, the sacrifice was not to do away with the sin. The sacrifice was for redemption from the sin that had been committed. That's what the sacrifice was for. The sacrifice didn't do away with the sin. The sacrifice caused the person who had committed the sin to be atoned and through that atonement reconciled and through that reconciliation back in right standing with the almighty. What if they went and did the same thing again? They had to go through the process again. What if they did it again? They had to go through the process again. It didn't do away with sin. It redeemed, it atoned, redeemed and reconciled. Leviticus 16 deals with the atonement for the sins of the nation. That's the day of atonement. So you've got the sins of the people that had personal redemption process and the sins of the nation that had a process, which when we acknowledge the day of atonement, we're looking at national redemption. The term redeem, redeemed, redeemist, redeemer, Redeemeth, redeeming, redemption is used more in the Old Testament than in the New Testament. We know Messiah is our Redeemer. He redeems us from sin. How? Through his personal sacrifice. He saves us from the sin so that the wages of sin that is death is not appropriated to us when we sin. But because of that, do we continue in sin? No. Well, how are you going to keep from sin if you don't know what sin is? Hello. Am I screaming? Sounds like I'm screaming. I was screaming. Hmm. Tone down, Arthur. Because <laughs> it scares the children. You know. <laughs> I'm not trying to scare the children, but anyway, scare the hell out of them. <laughs> and the servant abided not in the house forever, but the son abideth ever. The son in this case is Yeshua. If the son Yeshua therefore shall make you free, you shall be free indeed. Now let's take this a couple of, levels deeper. 
Now, notice what Yeshua says, and it's so important that we pay attention to the words that he speaks, because man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of Yehovah. And Yeshua came to speak what Yehovah had given him to his people. So this whole process of redemption first was to start with Israel, and then it was to go to the nations of the world. So salvation begins first with Israel. Salvation had a very specific start point, and it was in Judah, and more specifically in Jerusalem. In Jerusalem is where the price for sin was paid through the sacrifice of Messiah Yeshua. That's where he was crucified. And from Jerusalem, he told his disciples, he says, listen, this gospel, it starts first in Jerusalem, in Judea, and then to Samaria, and then to the uttermost parts of the world. And so we see, if you look at the trajectory of where the disciples left and went, you will find that they started from Jerusalem and then they went up into, or Paul went into Tarsus, but they went into Samaria. The first revival we see in the book of Acts was in Samaria. Remember Philip went down to Samaria? He's following the instructions. And then when Paul comes on the scene, where does he go? He goes Galilee up into Lebanon, Syria, into Europe, all the way into Rome. And so you'll see that if you had a map, you'll see that the gospel began to move up and over. And ultimately, it comes back to the continent. But where does it start? It started from Jerusalem, then Judea, and then Samaria. Now, why? Because of a promise that was made. For those of you who are following us in Genesis, you know, we've been looking at Abraham and Abraham's seed. We know that because of a promise that was made to Abraham. But look at what Yeshua says. He says, I know that you are Abraham's seed. Now, if you look at that word in the Greek, it's sperma. It's sperma. We get the word sperm, seed. It says, I know you are Abraham's seed, but you seek to kill me because my word has no place in you. The Hebrew and Jewish people were, are the seed of Abraham via sperm descent just as the Arabs and the Muslims. The Arabs, many, the Muslims, the Islamic people claim their descendancy all the way back to Ishmael, the first son of Abraham. And you'll find that in similarities, Islam and Judaism have a lot of comparison. It is the only two groups of individuals that I know that actually has a process whereby animals are, are to be killed, whether it be kosher or halal. Kosher or halal. No other people group that I know of have some kind of method or mechanism by which an animal is to be certified for the consumption of its people. When it comes down to pork, 
when it comes down to worship, you will find that the Islamic people worship more like Abraham did than the Jews or the Christians. They fall on their face. They prostrate themselves in broad daylight, in public, on the city streets, in their shops. They shut down their business for five, you know, however, you know, time there. When the call to prayer comes, everything stops. There are some Jews who pray three times a day. As Christians, we've been taught to pray for an hour. Those of you who was in Pentecostalism, if you came up in the Baptist church, I don't know when you pray because we didn't talk about prayer much. The deacon, there we go, Lord. Because ah. he heard my cry. I, 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 he heard my, you know, and all these kinds of things. And these are the kinds of things that we've been exposed to And so we find ourselves, notice how you pray. Notice how you pray. I challenge you to listen to how you pray. And then let me put a mic in your hand and let you pray publicly. When you pray publicly with that mic in your hand, I can tell you what denomination, what organization, what group you've come from. Why? Because we learned how to pray in the group that we were part of. You'd be surprised of how much you carry from where you've come from. I remember when I first got my call to preach, you know, in the Baptist church, it's like, you know, I felt bad because I couldn't hoop. I'm at home practicing. (laughs) God! And I said, this is foolishness. (laughs) But then all the preachers was preaching like that. And, and it's like, I can't preach like that. So I felt like a, a lesser type of preacher. But you know what I found is that I have to be true to me. And in the process, be true to him. I remember when father said, you know, I've called you to be an apostle. And I'm looking around at these apostles and I'm thinking, I can't be like that. That's not who I am. There's a lot of airs being put on in ministry because people are trying to fit certain environments. In the Baptist church that I come from, you haven't preached until you've hooped. If you notice, you will find that the Hebrew Matthew's gospel traces Yeshua's descent to Abraham. If you look at the genealogy in Matthew, But if you look at the Greek Luke, because Luke was Greek, his gospel goes all the way back to Adam. Now, you may not think much of it, but when it comes down from a Hebrew's perspective, faith began in the sense with Abraham, even though the Hebrew writer goes all the way back to Cain, who presented an offering and father said he was righteous. And then Noah. And then Abraham. But when it comes down to the father of faith, all of us have been taught that who's the father of faith? Abraham. And we're his children. We're his seed. We're his descendancy through faith or through bloodline. 
Matthew traces it back. Now, when you think about it, Abraham was the only person, according to the Bible, that we read about at that time that actually worshiped the one true Elohim. And this is why from the Hebrew and then the Judeo-Christian and now just the Christian, individuals would pray to the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, but not to the God of Noah, but Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Why? Because at one point in the Judeo-Christian environment, faith began, the faith that we practice today began with Abraham. That's the purpose. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Did not people exist before Abraham? Did not they serve? At least we know Noah did, and he was probably the only righteous man during his time. But it was with Abraham, and Abraham, the Bible says, he obeyed. You'll see this in a moment. John 8, 38. I speak that which I have seen with my father, and you do that which you have seen with your father. Next week, I'm going to talk about the devil is your daddy. That's the message. Yeshua says, I speak that which I have seen with my father, and you do that which you have seen with your father. Now, I'm not calling y'all children of the devil, but I'll tell you, well, let me get to it. Yeshua is referring to the devil as their father, as we'll see. As father spoke to Abraham, Yeshua the son spoke to the descendants of Abraham. They answered and said unto him, Abraham is our father. Yeshua said unto them, if you were Abraham's children. Now notice he said, if. He already acknowledged them as Abraham's seed. But he's not acknowledging them as Abraham's children. You see that? That's why I got it underlined. He says, if you were Abraham's seed or children. Notice what he says here. He says, I know. I know that you are Abraham's seed. Verse 37. But in verse number 39, he says, if you were Abraham's children, you would do the works of Abraham. There's a difference in being a seed of Abraham and children of Abraham. A seed is sperm and the result of intercourse. Children are those who grow up in the home of the father and train by the father. There are many men who have children by seed, but they're not fathers. They may be the baby daddy, Abraham commanded his children. See, here's the difference between seed and children. Abraham commanded his children to keep the way of Jehovah. This is why he was chosen. Genesis 18, 17. And Jehovah said, shall I hide from Abraham that thing which I do? This is when he was going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. Seeing that Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed of him. For I know him that he will command his children and his household after him. And they shall keep the way of Jehovah to do justice and judgment that Jehovah may bring upon Abraham that which he has spoken of him. 
Abraham not only believed Jehovah, he obeyed. Genesis 26, 5. Because that Abraham obeyed, and notice what he obeyed. He obeyed my voice. He kept my charge, my commandments, my statutes, and my laws. See, there are those today who are only focused on, you know, the Holy Spirit as it relates to hearing the voice of God. You got to be led by the Spirit. You got to, you know, do the Spirit have to lead you into not lying? Or should that come by virtue of knowledge? Do the Spirit have to lead you to not eat swine? Or does that come by virtue of knowledge? Now, you may be having something put in front of you that you don't know swine is in, and the Holy Spirit will say, there's some swine in that. (laughs) The Holy Spirit will alert you, will warn you about those things that you cannot see. Do the Holy Spirit have to lead you in not stealing? There are certain things that we are taught from the Word that we are to apply in our lives. We don't necessarily need, per se, the Holy Spirit to keep us from doing those things. But how many of you know the commandments can't lead you? The commandments can instruct you, but they can't lead you. There are certain things that Father will speak to you that you won't find in the commands. That's how we got to Charlotte. Charlotte is not even in the Bible. But Father said, go to Charlotte, and here we are. So there is his voice, and then there is his charge. When Father has given you a charge, now are you honoring that charge? We're looking in Genesis right now. We're in chapter 24 going into 25. We just finished chapter 24. And where Abraham sent his eldest servant to go and find a wife for his son. And he made him swear, you won't take my son back to Ur. If you can't find a wife from among my kinfolk, you are released. Why? Because father told Abraham to come out and that he was going to give that land that he brought him to. Not that he was going to send him back. So Abraham is saying, listen. My son, it's imperative because of the promise that father has made that I have to stay in this land. My son has to stay in this land. My son's sons have to stay in this land. My son's descendants have to stay in this land because this is the land he has given us and they're not to go back there. Now, of course, because of some dealings as we're going we're gonna to see going forward of some deception and practice that was taking place, there are certain things, brothers and sisters, that wrongdoing will cause us to do things that is contrary to his statutes. It's something how a mother who has a son who may be a, law, a lawbreaker may find herself lying for that boy or for that girl. There are times when we'll tell lies to save our children. Is that acceptable to the Almighty? We will do things that is contrary to his instruction for the people we love. 
And somehow we will justify it within our heart. When to him, there is no justification for it. Those circumstances exposes the things in our own heart that we need to address. But now you seek to kill me, he says, a man that has told you the truth, which I have heard of Elohim. Abraham didn't do this. You could be Abraham's seed, but are you his children? Are you doing what Abraham did? Are you obeying his voice? Are you keeping his charge? Are you keeping his commandments? Are you keeping his statutes? Are you keeping his laws? You do the deeds of your father. Now it's about to get ugly. We'll save that for next week, but I do need to hit some of this. You do the deeds of your father. Then said they to him, we be not born of fornication. We have one father, even Elohim. This response was derogatory response to Yeshua because word had it that he was the result of illicit sexual intercourse by his mother with someone other than Joseph. I mean, they were trying to push the idea that this man's mama got pregnant, but her, her husband didn't get her pregnant. So if she got pregnant and Joseph didn't get her pregnant, who got her pregnant? This is the word. And though we know because we're on this side of it in the day, it's like, man, Joseph was looking to put her away until the Holy Spirit intervenes, says, no, this thing that has happened is of the Holy One. Don't put her away. So he kept her. But the community is like, you know, Joseph is a fool. Joseph has been betrothed to a woman who sneaked out on him, got pregnant by another man, and now he's raising somebody else's child. And this followed Yeshua all the way up until this moment. And they said, listen, we were not born of fornication. <laughs> if you didn't know this, you would know what's going on here. But they're saying your mama's a hoe. And you're the son of a hoe. You're a bastard. And so now they didn't know that Yeshua was the offspring of Jehovah via the Holy Spirit. And guess what? He didn't try to defend himself. Because see, here's what people will do. And this is why you got to deal with whatever is in you. If somebody can push your button, that means you got buttons to push. <laughs> now that's a tough one right there, bro. If somebody can push your button, that means you got buttons to push. So what's your job? See, the work of the word by way of the spirit is like, for my electrician brothers, the word is like an, a master electrician. He goes in and disconnects those wires that's connected to the button. So when somebody go to push it, there's no reaction. Nothing happens. It's like, what? Every fallen, unredeemed man born in sin has two fathers. There's your biological father and there's the devil. The redeemed born again man has two fathers. There's the biological father and there's Jehovah. And here's what father revealed to me because I found myself having to try to defend something that James was saying, but was saying, you know, that's the wrong defense. When James talks about if you break one law, you break all the laws. What he's saying is, you know, if you look at the context is 
if you got this issue here, which is a violation, but you, you are trying to judge somebody over here in this area, then you're just as guilty as the person you're trying to judge. What makes your sin of lesser than their sin? And this is the lesson Yeshua was teaching us in the, a couple of weeks ago in the woman caught in adultery, when he said that you who is without sin do what? Cast the first stone. You who are without sin, cast the first stone. We will be a lot less rock throwing if we are more self examining. We would throw a lot less rocks if we do a more examining. And it doesn't matter who we are because in some cases we feel justified throwing rocks. But none of us are justified at throwing rocks. None of us. Because the whole idea of rock, see, when you throw a rock, the intent rock throwing in the Bible was for the purpose of bringing death. From the time of David and dealing with Goliath to individuals who are looking to now deal with individuals who are now required to be stoned. Folks didn't just throw rocks at people. They threw rocks with the intent of death. Fallen sin nature, if left alone without word intervention, the natural fallen man will perish without being redeemed. That's a fact, folks. And this is really where this message is headed. Many people come to faith after years of life experiences, revealing their way of life has not brought them the happiness they sought. Once an adult comes to this knowledge of faith, the normal course is to introduce this faith to their family. It's just normal. It is not unusual for children to question the faith practices of their parents for a couple of reasons. One, children are fallen in nature. We can all identify with that. Two, self-centered, self-absorbed and want things their way. We grow up like that to where we're concerned about getting things our way. We're self-centered. We're self-absorbed, self-focused. We consider ourselves in almost every circumstance first. Faith in Jehovah is opposed to the fallen nature of man. As a result, if you've got a child who is self-centered and self-absorbed and you claim to be walking in the way of righteousness, what's going to happen is that your children and adults are going to start looking for your flaws. They're going to look for your flaws for the purpose of shutting you up. This is why when you begin to address people, they now come back, shut you down, get off me. Don't come from me because I got something for you. If you can't take it, don't dish it. Because the natural tendency is to push you back, not examine whether or not what is being said, but to get you back off of them. We defend ourselves and we'll find ourselves defending this old nature. We'll defend this flesh. It's a natural reaction. Children are great at it. And they may not say anything depending on the environment that they're brought up in, but they watch you like a hawk. You know they do. 
As a result, children and adults who have not been redeemed look for flaws in the faith of those who practice faith to persecute them or just flat out avoid them. And I say this, brothers and sisters, because the whole goal here is the truth shall make you free. If our focus is to examine ourselves, if we look at examining ourselves, taking the word, because this is what, what I'm, I'm having to do, have had to do, and will continue to do, is there are areas where the Torah may not necessarily be applied in my life. If somebody accused me of not doing something, my response should not be to try to justify not doing something that I am capable of doing, but to accept the instruction, to accept the correction, and then focus on application. If I do that, what's going to happen is that areas where I'm not complying, I'm working on complying. As I comply, the power that is in his word transform me. And that's an area now I can move on to the next area. In that, we should be able to be thankful for people who point out our shortcomings. Even if they may come to us in a negative. If a shortcoming come to you in a negative and it's a shortcoming, why are you defending it? If you have a flaw and that flaw is pointed out, why are you defending it? Now, granted, there's certain things. It's like, you know what? And you have to weigh the balance because that's where wisdom comes in. But let's not defend our flaws. Let's correct them. And be thankful for the people who are courage enough or bold enough for whatever reason behind it that will expose them to us. Because if we hear them, the next time they try to use that against us, there will be nothing there to use. In fact, you could even thank the person. Thank you for pointing that out. I'll take that under advisement. <laughs> Hallelujah. Thank you for listening to our podcast today. You can find more inspirational teachings and download our free ebooks on our ministry website at arthurbaileyministries.com. Please follow us on Facebook at House of Israel Arthur Bailey Ministries, on Instagram at Apostle Arthur Bailey, on Twitter at Apostle Bailey, and you can subscribe to our YouTube page at Apostle Arthur Bailey One. If you're in the Charlotte area, please come and fellowship with us. We'll do our best to make you feel right at home. Our address is on our website at the About link under Contact Us. Again, thank you for joining us, and until next time, Shalom Saints.